All right, C-Note here. Welcome to Dopamine, the show that is like an anime character. Spiky, occasionally. Really all the time. There's always like spikes and hard edges going on with anime. I don't, I don't know what that's all about. They have such good hair. <laughs> it's a thing like, I just, I can't get over it. It's so much fun to draw anime characters because their hair is just crazy. It's probably an expression of, uh, of Asian hair just being so damn good. Um, it sounded creepy. I love Asian hair. It's <sighs> <laughs> not what I'm going for. Um, anyway, <laughs> today on the show, I wanted to talk about the call of the void. Um, this is a topic that a friend of mine came up uh, with and brought to my attention that uh, is something that I've experienced and I talked about all the time. And uh, I didn't know there was like a legit term for it. Uh, it's also called like um, high something. It's in the show. You'll hear it. I don't remember off the top of my head. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, we're going to talk about the, the call of the void uh, talk about sort of the depths of human behavior and potential and possibility um, how people get kind of nervous about it. And uh, it, because of the way that the modern world works essentially that it becomes like more jarring when that sort of happens, because we're not actively making moral decisions like that every single day. We have these moments, these spiky moments where we're like washing our, uh, we're, we're bathing our child in the sink and we're just like, our life would be easier if you were just gone. And that sounds like terrible, but like people have had that thought and then you have an active decision as to whether or not to do that. And truth is we're making those active decisions all of the time, but it's all subconscious. If you're making a choice to do a positive thing, you are negating the negative thing, but it exists. It does not say that it does not exist. It's a dichotomy that is, is constant. Um, so I talk about all of that stuff, uh, the call of the void in relation to mental health and anxiety and OCD and stuff like that. So there's a lot to break down. Um, uh, uh, on this episode of dopamine about the call of the void. Yeah. I was going to say other things, but like, let's just go into the show. Why not? So I'm going to go watch some anime. <laughs> the spiky hair. Uh, it's crazy. Anyway. Okay. Let's hit the button and do the thing. Drums, all right welcome to the show uh there's it's raining today it is like this gorgeous uh gray <laughs> raining day which totally fits my personality i absolutely love it gray without rain is like not great but gray with rain like oh my god i love it so much just the sound of the rain is just lovely and tranquil so i'm keeping the windows open and you're going to hear the rain in the background so you know Sorry, if you don't enjoy this, you can skip to the next episode. You're more than welcome to. Um, last night, we had these crazy storms. Like, it was absolutely um, Halloween-ish. Like, like just, I don't, it was almost like it was coming out of a speaker. It was just so intensely loud. These intense, crazy rumbles that basically passed over our apartment. Um, and the windows just lit up in just this just way that felt like it was in, we were in Transylvania or something like a, a whole Dracula situation. Uh, I thought it was cool. Um, Molly was having a little bit of difficulty with it, but um, we, I got up and we worked through it. So usually when it starts raining like crazy, like I leave the windows open and I, I freak out because I'm like, 
oh no, all of my electronics, <laughs> I need to make sure the windows are closed. So, um, which was frustrating because I like fell asleep pretty easily last night and then I had to wake up and it took me a while to get back to sleep. So that was annoying, but whatever. We're here. We're back at it. Um, so today I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, the call of the void. This is something that came to me. This is something I've always experienced. Um, and I'll, I'll define what that is in a second. But uh, I was asking people for suggestions as to what topics I should talk about. And someone suggested, my friend Caitlin suggested, uh, the call of the void, which is uh, uh, also a, it's a French term originally. Um, I got to find the actual words. It's like something in French that I can't even pronounce, honestly, but I'm going to try because comedy <laughs> and uh, see how, uh, see how it goes. It is called um, La Appel du Vide. I don't know. That's the way I said it sounded like Italian, but <laughs> it's uh, that's it's literally translates to the call of the void. So this feeling, I'm going to explain my feeling, and then I'll kind of explain some of the the general notions of it. So this thing that I've I've had this feeling pretty commonly, like when I stand at the edge of something, uh, and that's usually the the common sort of um, uh, interpretation of it. But there are other interpretations, other other times that this happens, and we may not even realize it. Um, so that this has happened to me personally when I'm standing at the edge of something and I just get this natural compulsion to jump and it's frightening. You just feel like you just like, yeah, I could totally just go. And it's like instinctual. And then like, there's like a tether in your brain that is just like, no, wait, you can't do that. Cause you'll die. Um, it's like a weird delay. It's like, I would say it's like, like a 10 to 15 second delay, like a pretty substantial delay but your instinct is like, go. And I think there's a couple of reasons for this. I think, um, I think there's a couple of reasons that are not tied to suicide. And, and that's interesting because a lot of the discussion around that feels like it's a suicidal ideation thing or it's a mental illness thing. And I think more people experience this than we might think. Um, some of the research I looked into essentially said that it's not exclusive to anyone dealing with any kind of diagnosed mental illness. So, um, not to say that the people who uh, uh, were tested, you know, asked the question essentially, um, didn't have a mental illness that wasn't yet diagnosed, but um, it's very, it's basically looking like it's not linked to mental illness and suicide. And I think the reason is, there's really a couple of reasons, but one reason is just a simple natural desire for an adrenaline rush. I think sometimes um, we just have this compulsion to just go and do something. And our instinct is like, yeah, go, this will be great. This will be awesome. And then the sort of rational part of your brain is like, no, you'll die. You know, it's, it's kind of like when you're a kid and you're just kind of like jumping from rock to rock and kids aren't typically thinking about their safety. They're just kind of going and jumping and playing and running. And I don't think that compulsion ever really leaves us but it becomes a little bit more extreme when we get a little older. And I, yeah, I'm sure kids have experienced this too. I didn't find any research that talked about kids experiencing this, but um, as adults, we have this kind of like compulsion to be uh, our, our natural lives, I should say are very controlled, you know, and everything is very quote unquote civilized. And you have to, there's a social behavior and a way that we have to be as people. So I think, what happens is like the very natural side of us comes out and says like, just do it. This is great. This will be awesome. You know, because I don't, I've never felt like it was like me wanting to die in that moment. It wasn't, it wasn't a compulsion that made me think like, Oh, I could totally kill myself right now. 
no, it, this was totally, this was always a feeling of like, I could jump. It was never particularly associated with death. And then your brain, you know, my brain would remind me, you could die, by the way. So you probably shouldn't do that. <laughs> um, and other people have experienced this um, for different ways, you know, a natural and I've experienced it in a couple different ways. Also, you know, you're on a subway and the, the train's coming and you're standing at the edge and you feel this compulsion to jump or perhaps uh, you're in traffic and you feel a compulsion to like swerve into a median or something like that. And I think what gets really tricky about this is that it is not just tied to self-sabotage. It is, um, it, is, it is tied to kind of like an instinctual, I don't want to even say evil, but just like a primal urge that we have for an adrenaline rush and getting an adrenaline rush in any kind of way that we can. Um, so people have had terrible thoughts that they don't typically share. And I've heard this kind of randomly throughout my life that people have had certain compulsions and, and they don't act out on them. And, and I think this is, I think it's a lot more common than people think, but because of, you know, social, um, exile, essentially, they don't want to express that they've ever had this thought, you know, like, a um, a mother wanting to keep their, you know, to, to not take care of their child anymore or abandon them or even kill them and smother them or something like that. Um, or, uh, someone who's just like, you're so angry at someone that you work with that you just want to scream and yell at them and have this natural compulsion. And a lot of us have like healthy, natural compulsions that we have to subside because for the sake of social niceties and, and, you know, not being exiled from our social circles. Um, but there are some more of those extreme versions of that. And I think the ultimate reason for that, um, and, and people will feel that happening and feel like they're a terrible person and feel all sorts of guilt and anxiety. Um, but I think what's really happening is the brain's natural need for contrast that we need to know that to affirm our purpose and the things that we're doing in life in contrast to what we're capable of as human beings, because, you know, human beings have, have caused atrocities for the entirety of human beings existence. We've, uh, you know, killed other people. There's been rape and enslaving and, um, all sorts of like maiming and torture and all sorts of terrible things, uh, child abandonment. Um, yeah, just, just to name a few and then like suicides and stuff like that, all sorts of things that humans are naturally capable of. I think a lot of people are like, no, I'm not, I'm, if you're listening to, you're like, no, I'm, I've never, I'm a good person. And uh, yeah, I mean, just because you have these thoughts doesn't mean you're a bad person. First of all, um, it, it's simply more of a natural primal compulsion to feel this. It's like your reptile brain is just like, I, it, it's like a, it's like a, uh, I don't know. It's like, an, it's just like this natural compulsion to take whatever you want. It's like when you're a child and you're just like, no, this is mine. But I just told you this was, this is yours. No, this is mine. And they covet it and they grip it. And if you tried to try to take it away, they have this natural compulsion to grip tighter. Right. And honestly, if kids were left to their own devices and not raised to be, um, uh, to be a better people to, to be socially considerate and things like that, they may be likely to protect their belongings and their life and their surroundings with extreme, uh, uh with extreme ability at some point. Um, it's, it's not to say that kids are going to grow up to be default, bad people, or that anyone, any human being at default is a bad person. But I think that we have these compulsions so that we can know what not to do so that we can also appreciate our 
self-awareness to appreciate our existence. It's almost like an existential thing. And there have been a couple of like kind of scientific attempts at explanations of this, or really like, you know, psychological to both look at it from a perspective of, um, you know, the, the couple different ways that I've already kind of explained where it could be an adrenaline thing. It could be a, um, sort of like subconscious appreciation for your existence kind of thing. Um, and, uh, certainly some other kinds of compulsions. Um, but what I find the most interesting is like the, this, the, certainly the, the disconnect between mental health and the average person feeling this. And I think the average person is going to be less likely to share that they have this unless they're in part of a study or something like that. And, um, you know, it's, it's like these feelings that are like awful, right? So uh, it's like, who's going to be really open about this and really exclaim, um, that this is something that they've experienced. Like, it's really scary to feel like you're, capable of doing something terrible to yourself or to other people. Um, and, and there's certainly other, uh, aspects of it involving, um, some of the correlations that the, the psychological discussions have had is that people with high expectations or high anxiety, um, essentially are more likely to experience this. Um, not really sure why that is. Uh, I just think it's really, it's an interesting thing to consider that um, if you're experiencing high anxiety, like that there maybe there is a suicidal aspect to it that that it's um this maybe there's it could be one one of two ways. It could be the desire to jump to end the anxiety or the anxiety itself causing the fear, right? So it's um it's kind of like this this contrasting like excitement response and then a fear response, like an excitement of like, Oh, I could totally jump and this will be exhilarating and I'll get a rush and everything will be amazing. And then the opposing fear of like, but you're probably going to die. You're 99% going to die. Um, and then your, your brain can also get a satisfaction from stepping away from the ledge and putting yourself in a sense of safety. I'm sure that depends on personality type and stuff like that. Um, and then there's this other concept of intrusive thoughts and things like that too. Um, but I'm going to take a break so you can listen to the ad real quick and then, um, figure out what I'm going to talk about for the next, um, the next part of this. Let's go. All right. Welcome back. So um, the rain's dying down a little bit, so it's not going to be as loud. But um, there is this article that I pulled up that uh, is from truthhawk.com. I have no idea what the rest of the topics are on this on this website are, but they have an article about uh, L'Appel du Vide. Uh, I don't, that was bad. (laughs) Sorry, French friends. Um, Why we self-sabotage. And that's the interesting aspect to think about is that any result of this is a self-sabotage kind of thing, right? If you were to jump, it's some, you're, you're ending your life. If you were to jump into a, a oncoming train, you'd end your life. If you were to push someone off a cliff, you would be essentially ending your, uh, absolving yourself of any kind of human rights because you're going to go to jail and all that stuff. Um, same thing if you were to to devoid yourself of responsibilities from raising your children and, and having this sort of uh, desire to just like, you know, just let everything go. And I think another aspect that I thought was really interesting is that on one of these articles, someone mentioned the sort of desire to just kind of like forget 
things and let go and just like devoid yourself of responsibility. Um, uh, I'm going to go back to that article in a second, but I'm going to see if I can find trying to find the article. There was one. Oh, that's my phone ringing. I'm going to stop that. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So there is this aspect of like the, the, they use the example of like entrepreneurs who are, they just want to throw in the towel. You're having a, a you know, you, you have this instinct all the time to just like, I just want to quit everything. I want to let go. I don't want to do this anymore. And um, part of it is that impulsiveness and um, just that active fight back and forth. And it's something that I experience all the time. I experience that every day with everything that I do. And I'm sure plenty of people experience that too. Um, they just might not be, it, 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 I think it's going to happen more likely with, you know, anxiety. If you're someone that has a high anxiety in your life, it seems to be the case with some of these articles that I've read. Um, so, you know what? I've got three articles that I'm going to read. I'm going to pull these up real quick and we're just going to blast through them because I think they're all really good. And I want to make sure that there's not anything that I'm missing. So this first one is from uh, all that's interesting.com slash call of the void with dashes in between the words. Um, and uh, the headline reads, ever stood on a ledge and thought I could jump. There's a phrase for that. The call of the void is that feeling when you stand in a high place and think about jumping, but don't actually want to and don't actually do it. It's a feeling more people have had than they like to admit. You're looking down from the edge at a, of a tall cliff or a balcony dozens of stories high, admiring the bird's eye view when suddenly something sinister happens. Uh, <laughs> I could jump right now. You think to yourself before mentally recoiling at the thought uh, as you withdraw from the ledge. You're not alone. The French have a phrase for it. La pelle du Villet. Uh That was probably the best one so far. <laughs> the call of the void. Uh, if you've experienced this feeling in a, com in a completely non-suicidal way, there's no definitive conclusion or explanation for it. However, a feeling common enough that studies have been de dedicated to it. In 2012, Jennifer Hames led a study at the Department of Psychology at Florida State University on the call of the void. She called it the high place phenomenon and ultimately said that the call of the void is potentially the mind's weird and seemingly paradoxical way of appreciating life. The study samples a survey of 431 undergrad students asking them if they've experienced this phenomenon. At the same time, she assessed their moods, behaviors, symptoms of depression, anxiety levels, and their levels of ideation. A third of the study's participant reported that they had experienced this phenomenon. People with higher anxiety were more likely to have the urge, but also people with higher anxiety were more likely to have higher ideation. Uh, so people with higher ideation were more likely to report the phenomenon. A little over 50% of the uh, subjects who said they call the, the call of the void never had suicidal tendencies. And it's similar to what I was basically saying, like, it's never felt like I wanted to die right now. It just felt like I could jump and I, you know, it's very scary. Um, uh, so what exactly is going on? It could be explained by a strange mix between the conscious and unconscious mind. The analogy Jennifer Hames gives in relation to the call of the void or the high place phenomenon is that of a person walking near the edge of a roof. Suddenly the person has a reflex to jump back, even though they weren't in danger of falling. The mind quickly rationalizes the situation. Why did I back away? I can't possibly fall. There are, there's, uh, there's a railing there. So therefore I wanted to jump quotes the study as a conclusion people come to. Basically, since I lurched away, I must have wanted to jump, but I really don't want to jump because I want to live. Thus, individuals who reported this experience um, 
uh, of the phenomenon are not necessarily suicidal. Rather, the experience of high place phenomenon may reflect their sensitivity to internal cues and affect or uh, uh, actually affirm their will to live. Hames summarized. Um, yeah, some of some of the articles kind of kind of said it was more of like a miscommunication from the brain, from the unconscious unconscious brain to the subconscious brain. And I'm kind of interested personally, if like personality typology can come into play, if, uh, uh, you know, certain personality types might have a, um, you know, higher anxiety or, um, a higher opportunity of, of vocally hearing this sort of phrase in their head versus like maybe a feeling or something like that. Um, that'd be really interesting to find out, but nothing I could find related to that at the moment. Uh, the study is flawed, but interesting with major, with a major takeaway being the clear example it demonstrates of the notion that unusual and confusing thoughts don't actually indicate real risk and aren't also isolated. An alternative theory to call the, the call to the call of the void from Adam Anderson, a cognitive neuroscientist at Cornell university. He studies behavior and emotion using images of the brain. His theory for the call of the void is more along the lines of a tendency to gamble. People are more likely to take risks when the situation is bad because they want to avoid the possibility, the possibly bad outcome by gambling against it. As illogical as it may sound, if someone has a fear of heights, their instinct is to gamble against it by jumping from that high place. Future gain is not as immediate as avoiding present danger. Fear of heights and fear of death are not so connected. Fear of death holds an emotional distance that other less abstract fears don't. So, Therefore, jumping solves the fear of heights immediately. Then you're confronted with the fear of death problem, which may wind up not being a problem if you die. Um, so, you know, fear of death is kind of a, a big deal. Um, it's, it's like the CIA and FBI not communicating about risk assessments, said Anderson. Numerous other theories have been examined as well from French philosopher Jean-Paul Zatier. Uh, it's a moment of existential truth about the human freedom to choose the, uh, to live or die. There's the vertigo of possibility when humans contemplate dangerous experiments and freedom, the idea that we choose that we want to choose to do this. There's also the pure, the purely human explanation that the urge to sabotage ourselves is human. Uh, even though there is no scientific foolproof explanation of la pelle du vide, uh, the call of the void the fact that many theories and several studies have been done on it does prove one thing that it's a shared sensation. Um, so there's this other article too, that I'm going to go through real quick called the science behind the call of the void. Um, this is going to sound a little weird to some of you, but have you ever been up somewhere really high, looked down and had the urge to jump? <laughs> I love intros to articles. I take a ferry a lot. And sometimes I look down at the churning water and wonder about what it feels. Okay. This beginning is just like, everyone sharing that they've had this experience. Uh, so we're going to go to the jump down a little bit. April Smith, an associate professor of psychology at Miami University in Ohio, has studied this. She even co-authored a study about it. An urge to jump affirms the urge to live, an empirical examination of the high place phenomenon. Um, high place phenomenon is what scientists are calling it. Her research found a few things. One, that about 50% of people have experienced aspects of the call of the void. And two, that it's the result of some kind of miscommunication in your brain. It could be the case that when you're up somewhere high, your brain is basically sending an alarm signal, you know, be careful. And that actually leads you to take a step back and you notice your surroundings, she says. Then the more deliberate um, 
deliberative process kind of kicks in and you start to think, why did I just take a step back? I'm totally fine. There's no reason for me to be afraid. Oh, I'm, I'm, I must've wanted to jump. So like a trick of the mind, uh, a post hoc rationalization of a behavior, and it's not anything to worry about. She says, some thoughts are just chatter or static. They don't mean you're going to do something or not do something. Smith also says that this happens with non-suicidal people with those having suicidal thoughts. It may be different. And, uh, she points out people think suicide is an impulsive act, but research says it's not. It's definitely not. Uh, all of these thoughts are part of a large genre called intrusive thoughts. A lot of people have them, like when you're driving down the road and think about hitting a pedestrian or bathing your child and thinking about drowning them. Or, you know, you want to scream sometimes in the middle of a meeting. It happens to all of us. Uh, not me, though. <laughs> definitely not even. Anyway, this is this is her in parentheses saying, uh, not me, though. Definitely have never thought about screaming in the middle of a meeting if my boss is reading this which I think is pretty funny. Um, even though most of us never act on those impulsive thoughts, they can be really upsetting to experience. If they start to become a problem, it's a good idea to talk about to a doctor about, about it. Intrusive thoughts can be a symptom of OCD. So yeah, it's certainly important to talk about it if it's a reoccurring thing in um, more and more scenarios in your life. And it's certainly important also to know that it's a, a fairly common experience for a lot of people that if you've had this kind of like quick flash of like this really terrible thing that you've wanted to do, that doesn't make you a bad person. You know, our, our brains have instincts built into them to give us a sense of contrast. Like this article is basically talking about saying that, you know, it's about, uh, uh, this will, this appreciation to continue to live and that, really throughout our lives, we continue to have the choices that we, you know, these things are instinctual, right? As we get a little bit older, we start to get used to the social niceties of life. We get used to the idea that we're just supposed to be a certain way, but we forget that we're making subconscious choices all of the time, you know, like a choice to love and be and care and make love to someone or to yell and scream and kill them. And we don't think that as like a conscious thing, but sometimes there is a subconscious, there are subconscious processes that we're continuing to make those decisions to not do the bad thing. So the bad thing is still there. <laughs> and it's, it's, you know, if you're making a decision to make a good thing happen, that means you've, you've decided against a bad thing that inherently exists within all of our brains. We know what the bad things are. Therefore we have a potential to commit the bad thing. And we don't think about that because we just, you know, it's instinctual. It's, it's like, we're, we're doing good things all the time, right? You're, you're talking to people, you're saying nice things, you're, you're complimenting, you're um, making dinner for people, you're doing whatever you're doing all these things that you're kind of, you know, quote unquote, supposed to do. And all of these things that are kind of like in the rule book of positive human behavior. But in order to continue to do the positive human behavior, we have to still acknowledge subconsciously that there is bad and that there is a part of us that wants to do bad. We want to do bad or we want to do good. And we are just simply choosing subconsciously and quickly to do the good thing. It's kind of like the way that, um, people talk about like multitasking or the way that like computers work essentially is that computers are not, um, uh, 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 not doing tasks at the same time. They are doing things, um, one thing at a time and our brains are doing one thing at a time. We can't multitask. So we're not necessarily thinking about the good things and the bad things at the same time. We're almost like basically switching between, you know, having to assess every once in a while subconsciously, your brain is like, 
hey, remember this bad thing, right? That's still bad, right? And it's like you have this conscious realization for a second that you have to make the choice of like, of right, yeah, yeah, that's bad, that's bad. And kind of like renew it. It's almost like you're renewing your ability to know that this is a bad thing and to continue to go forth in life in a positive way. Right. So that that's kind of the way I look at it. Uh, that's not a scientific assessment. That's just me as a uh, rational minded person kind of talking about this and someone who's done over 200 episodes of mental health podcasting. So um, take it as you will. And we'll kind of read this last article um, as we get into the uh, later mark of this episode. So this is that uh, la la appel du vidi why do why we self sabotage uh, article which I think is really interesting as well. Um, it's a French term meaning call of the void. It describes the appeal of self sabotage. Uh, the call of the void. Have you ever stood at the top of a cliff, a tall building, thought, "What if I jumped and had an urge to switch uh, into?" oncoming traffic and thought about what would happen if you jumped on the tracks as the train approaches. The French recognizes this phenomenon and calls it l'appel du vide. The vide. I'm not getting anywhere with that phrasing. Um, the examples of causing our own death are the most dramatic. And when you're most likely to have felt this, but the phenomenon phenomenon is everywhere. The call of the void is called, is the call of self-sabotage. It is unavoidable in any endeavor. Uh, Self-sabotage. The urge to sabotage ourselves is human. It is ingrained in the mind. Human beings are adapted for comfort, homeostasis, and we are naturally resistant to change. When you are making progress, the void is regression and the call is no less strong. Anybody who's uh, given themselves the mission of improving their fitness will know the urge to skip workouts, indulge in shitty foods, or give up completely. Ask any entrepreneur if they felt the urge to give give it all up. Only a liar will deny that. Sometimes a mother will ever it will even res, uh, resent the newborn and want them gone. And uh, why do we do this to ourselves? Um, uh, let's see. Uh, your awareness and reaction reaction to your thoughts strengthens or weakens the call. Uh, so let's take the cliff example. And um, as you stand at the edge of the cliff, your nervous system gives you a warning that you're in danger. Adrenaline pumps, your heart rate increases, your pupils dilate. The thought of your destruction is formed in the mind. This is the call of the void. Your body recognizes the danger, but how you react is determined by uh, to this determines whether or not the call is strong. Do you become anxious at the thought, replaying scenarios over and over in your head? If you do, your obsession replicates the thought, the call of the void over and over. It uh, acquires mimetic strength in your mind. It goes viral in your head. Uh, the call gets stronger and you might start to feel vertigo. In the most extreme cases, this effect will involuntarily drive people to fall off the edge. Um, so how to ignore the void's call. You have the power to ignore the void of the call of the void, but you cannot do it through resistance for resistance to a thought just repeats the meme and makes it stronger. The path of avoiding self-tabotage is in awareness of the call and redirection of your mental energy. Mindfulness is awareness of your thoughts, recognize the call and treat it dispassionately. The call is natural and human. There is no need to freak out about one's urges because we can't control the fact that they're there. Uh, when we, what we can do is control our response. And once you've recognized the thought, let it pass, redirect your mental energies elsewhere, find something else to occupy your mind, step away from the ledge and do something productive. Here's an example of my own life. I speak for a living and, but I wasn't born a public speaker. I used to imagine choking before giving a speech. 
replaying scenarios in my mind where I'd somehow fuck it up. As the time to speak approached, my heart rate would increase, my palms would sweat, my voice would crack when I started speaking. The void called and I fell right into it. Today, I I get that feeling from time to time, but I recognize how ridiculous it is. Why self-sabotage? The call is natural. Fear of public speaking is the most common fear in surveys, but my reaction is my own. The hear the to, I hear the call, I acknowledge it, but and don't let it control me. I set my mind on something else, um, like what I'm going to do after delivering a great presentation, and then I knock the room dead. The call is natural, but you can control the volume. Um, so I think at the end of the day, with all, of all of this discussion, I think it's important to acknowledge that. Um, and this is me talking, by the way, I'm not reading anymore. Um, I think it's important to acknowledge that this is a feeling that is natural. I think it is a natural desire for existential contrast that we as humans, you know, before we learn anything, we have instincts, right? You're a baby. You want things here. You want dependence. You want things taken care of. You want food. You want shelter. You want all of the basic necessities in life. And I think the call of the void is your subconscious making sure, like checking in with you as to like, you're still good, right? Like you've got all the things you need. Uh, you're, 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 you know, you're, you're still a good person, right? You're not going to do all these bad things that you know, are kind of sitting in your subconscious. Cause again, I think there is a natural contrast to like all of the good things in life, making a choice to raise a child and the opposing force, which is the choice to kill the child. And it's still a choice. Like we, in our minds subconsciously, again, like realize that this is like an instinctual, uh, or rather that we feel that the desire to raise a child is instinctual, but there is, part of it that is also instinctual to get rid of the child because it is an impediment on our own personal life and safety. Right. Um, so there is, there is that dichotomy and it does exist and it doesn't make you a bad person to have to ask that question um, or even have the quick subconscious thought of asking that question. Uh, and it doesn't mean that you're going, you know, actually committing the bad act is what makes you a bad person but committing the good act is what continues to make you a good person. Right? So even having the thought of it is not bad. The thought, um, you know, like, uh, which is why I don't even like the term. It's the thought that counts because we all have shitty thoughts too. <laughs> um, you know, it's really about being able to take these, these dichotomies and realize that like your brain is actively making decisions between these two things all of the time. There is a simultaneous, uh, dichotomy and like kind of marriage of these ideas happening all at once. So we have to kind of break it apart. And in that moment, make this decision. Okay. I still value my life, so I'm not going to jump. That could be fun, but that would be bad. And I can't do that. Um, you know, just as like, there's a part of our brain that, you know, you think about Grand Theft Auto and people love shooting other people and running people over. And like, that is not a like desire unique to people that are playing those video games. That is a human desire satiated and being able to do that without actually putting anyone in physical harm is like, there's a satisfaction to the brain that happens with that. And I think a lot of us know that. I think a lot of us know that if we were to swerve into traffic and run someone over, we would be like, ha, that was great. But then like, you know, there's the consequences, right? You hurt the person, you are hurting yourself socially because you're going to get basically jail time and uh, you're going to hurt your car too. <laughs> so 
you know, these are things that we stop ourselves from doing, but I think the instinct is there and we're fighting against those instincts. So, you know, things like video games, we get to kind of satiate those instincts. And, um, you know, I, I think there's a big problem with assuming that because we have the ability to satiate those instincts in video games, that we are more likely to do that in person. And I just don't think the correlation exists. I think that it is instinctual within people to do all sorts of bad, terrible things. Um, even the most kind, loving person has had a terrible thought. They just haven't told you about it. Uh, so I, I honestly think this exists within every human being in some shape or form. It'll more likely manifest with mental health or with any kind of anxiety or any kind of ideation. Um, it, it, it seems like it will be kind of heightened and at least the expression of it will also be heightened. And I think the reason that we associate it with jumping off a ledge is because that is like, that is self-sabotage that is harmless, right? So some of these articles talking about a mother wanting to smother their child or someone wanting to jump in front of a train or someone wanting to push someone in front of a train or wanting to run someone over, right? And those things are just like, how can we even talk about that? But truth is, I honestly believe that that is there. That is instinctual within every single person. It's just not conscious. It is not, it is not something you actively think about so that when we are presented with it naturally, especially in a world that we are, when we are living in this like very anti-instinctual world of being very, um, very put together and presentable and stuff like that, our instincts are just banging at the door. Like, Hey, remember this thing that is like part of your DNA? What do we do about this? <laughs> so I, I honestly think that's kind of what's going on. It's like we're we're not satisfying a lot of primal urges, so it kind of leaks out in like some of the worst ways, essentially. So it's a bit of a complicated discussion, but I think it's really interesting. Um, that's a lot of this is just my opinion and my perspective, but again, based on like things that I've read and my personal experiences, and again, being someone who's done a podcast for over 225 episodes. So, you know, that's just, you're willing to take that with a grain of salt. If you've ever experienced this and you're willing to talk about it, I'd love to hear your perspective on it. Um, particularly when it comes to like, instinctual things with bad thoughts. You can totally tell me anonymously. I don't need to share who you are uh, or anything like that. And I certainly personally will not judge if you've had any kind of instinctual thought that you've, you've battled against, you know, and it's certainly important also, if this is a reoccurring thing to make sure that you do go check with a therapist, because it can be like one of the articles said, it can be a, a measure of OCD or a high anxiety, things like that. So certainly a reoccurring uh, perspective on this or reoccurring uh, uh, issue like this can be a trigger for you to at least go talk to someone and see if there's some way that you can calm those thoughts so that if you have an intense call of the void in a dangerous situation that you don't actually jump. So um, yeah, that's, that's, that's the, uh, the crux of it. And basically everything I wanted to talk about with this topic. So it's really fascinating, super interesting. Look it up yourself. It's called the call of the void. Uh, I'm not going to say the French term again, cause I'm just ruining it. <laughs> so, um, if you like this show, please leave us a uh, voice message, a review, uh, rating. That would be absolutely amazing on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever it is that you're listening to this. And um, if you are not subscribed to the show, go to dopamine.life to subscribe on Anchor, or you can um, click, there's a button to listen on other platforms. And um, you can also, uh, uh, there's a support this show button 
there as well to monetarily support the show. Um, I just finished my INFJ course. So if you are an INFJ and you want to learn all about your personality type, it is $25. Go to cnote.media or cnotes.thinkific.com slash INFJ dash the dash mage. Um, but if you go to cnote.media, it's on the page there. So just click the INFJ course and, um, it's seven segments all about, uh, the different, uh, cognitive functions and, uh, cognitive loops. And then a nice conclusion talking about relationships and parenting and, um, and, uh, careers and stuff like that. So there's a lot of fantastic information about three and a half hours of stuff. So if you're an INFJ and you're interested in that, again, go to cnote.media, scroll down a little bit, and then there's the INFJ course, $25, go sign up for that. And it's something that, uh, you know, if you buy it, you'll have access to me as well, um, for follow-up questions and all of that good stuff. So, uh, that's it. That's, uh, that's it for today. I hope you guys have a good one. Take care of yourselves. Don't stand anywhere near ledges. <laughs> that's just silly. Anytime I see an Instagram post where there's just like a girl with like her legs crossed sitting on a ledge of something, I'm like, no, stop it. Cut, cut it out. What are you doing? Who are, who are you trying to prove this to? What are you, what are you doing? Uh, I just, I know I can't have, I can't handle it. I get heart palpitations. So, okay. I'm going to go. I hope you guys have a good one. Take care of yourselves and each other. And I'll catch you next time on dopamine. Hey, you beautiful human. Thanks for listening to dopamine and providing your support for this show. I really, really appreciate it. If you really love this show, leave a review on iTunes and Stitcher to show some love for the podcast. You can also check out cnote.media to check out my work and my courses. But um, with that, we'll catch you next time. See you guys later.